Hello, good people. On today's episode of the DoD 45, we sit down with our friend Whit Hertford, theater director, writer, and actor in many movies that you have seen, including Jurassic Park and Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Stop what you're doing and listen. DoD 45. This is the DoD 45 podcast, drawing over discussions, 45 minutes with a special guest. Welcome. I'm your host and resident artist, Ty of Art by Ty. And with my co-host, Adrian Taiwali'i, we're having conversations with people who I admire and am inspired by. On this episode, I'll set a 45-minute timer, put my pen to the paper, and we'll learn about our guest through an interview-style discussion. So stay right here with us to experience some laughs and maybe even learn a thing or two. All right, here we are back into the Utah studio. Been here for a couple of days. How you feeling about being here in Utah? I feel fine. Okay, good. It's not making a, much of a difference to me. Well, it used to though. Kind of no. Oh. I'm grateful that um, all you socialites get to be with your friends <laughs> other than that that doesn't make a difference to me well on our show today we're going to be talking with our friend wit wit hertford is his name is he, it hertford that's how i've always pronounced it what do you what do you suppose it is i don't know well wit wit we see the problem is we i used to call him whitby but he doesn't i don't think he he probably doesn't like that and it's not his why name. why wouldn't he like that i don't know it's not like if someone called you adri wouldn't that drive you nuts i don't know if people have been calling me that my whole life i'd be used to it but that's what i'm saying i don't think he actually is called that i think we just started calling him that because from our friend joel well anyway our guest today is is wit hertford and every time I say wit, I really struggle cutting off that B part, wit B. <laughs> but he's a he is a friend of ours, um, and he's an he's an actor and a and um a theater um, a playwright, um, a director. I've been going through a list of the movies that Wit's been in and the shows that he's in and the things he was in. It's it's pretty wild. There's a lot. Do you know all of the things that he's been in? I wouldn't know, but I do know he's been producing a lot of like screenplays or maybe what do you call a screen of a play? Screenwrite. Oh, no, I mean, sorry. A playwright. Of, playwright. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's uh, I, I can't remember the name of their theater group. It's called. Uh, uh, right. It's not right. Riot Act. Yeah. Yeah, he's in, he played, you know, he's in things like, and, I, and these are long time ago, but I mean, they are still part of his life. I'm sure he's kind of sick of hearing them, but, you know, he's a little Tolly in Adam's family, the dream child, Jacob, in the Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Have you seen that one? Or did you just, after you saw Nightmare on Elm Street 1, you just like, I'm never watching again, another one. I watched up until the third one. Hmm. Well, he's in the original Jurassic Park. I got, there's something funny that I read about. That I'm going to ask him about there. Uh, he's in Glee. Did you ever watch Glee? I <laughs> I know. No, our daughter watches. I it. think I saw him on it when she was watching it. Though 
He's in this other show, Raising Hope. Everyone loves that show, but I haven't watched it. But it's supposed to be really good. He plays Officer Ross. And then he, I did, didn't really realize it. Maybe I never even saw it, but he is in Full House. He, I he, I think he tries to get a smooch off of um, Stephanie. The old one? Stephanie. Yeah. No, the original Full House. <laughs> yeah, and I want to ask him about this. He got a movie that came out in 2014. I think that was the last production, but I don't know. But I want to ask him about that. But I'm happy to have him on. It's I've, I've always liked him. We, we met with... Did we meet Wit through Joel? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's. I mean, let's have a conversation with him, uh, and and uh, learn more about Wit. Let's take a quick break, though. Let's take a quick break, and hear from some of our um, delightful sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Wit Hertford. D O D forty five. Amplify the flavor of your favorite foods with Hob Sauce's award-winning flavors. Create your own four-pack at HobSauces.com. Not only do they make dope hot sauce, they collaborate with dope artists for their labels and flavors, including myself, Atmosphere, Aesop Rock, Crayola, Rob Sonic, and so many more. We love Hob Sauce over here at DoD45 and damn near put it on everything we eat. We got extra bottles in the car. Adrian has one in her purse. I have an emergency bottle in my backpack. And if you're ever running out, we always have a bottle available of the garlic turmeric, which I did the octopus label for here at my gallery in Hannibal, Missouri. Hit it, Bobby. Have sauce, have sauce. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Put it on your food. Hop sauce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the world. My name is Tony, and I have a podcast, too. I know what you're saying. I already know. Okay, but I have a podcast, too. Just like you, just like your grandma, just like your grandma's neighbor. We all have podcasts, except mine is different. I'm different. I was born different. The Speaker Face Podcast is fun. It will teach you probably nothing. You cannot smell it, and you definitely can taste it. Speaker Face Podcast by... Me, AWOL1, and I talk to uh, my friends, I talk to musicians, artists, all kinds of creative people, all kinds of human beings. I do like little songs and little freestyles and skits. And So after you're done listening to DOD45 with my man Ty, which is a very, 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 very interesting podcast that you should religiously watch and listen to after you're done check out speakerface.store for the speakerface podcast and you could also listen to it wherever other podcasts are podcasting you know what i'm saying so check it out speakerface podcast your life will be better i don't promise Here's a little story that must be told. Hey, we are stoked to be starting a relationship with Brim of the World and look forward to building on our partnership with them in the future. 
Listen, I almost never go without a hat, so hooking up with Brim of the World was a no-brainer. As far as your situation goes, you know your head is looking pretty chump these days, and it's time to throw some headgear on there. And I'm not talking braces headgear, I'm talking about hats. And Bot World, a.k.a. Brim of the World, has a treasure trove of headwear to pick from, so check them out at brimoftheworld.com. And also check out their SCD collection. SCD is Seek, Conquer, Destroy, and it's their action sports brand. Seek wisdom to conquer all obstacles and destroy anything that tries to stand in your way for success. Also, also, also check out their Aliens Built Earth clothing line. Super dope clothing line. I rock their hoodies and shirts all the damn time. Aliens Built Earth was born with the notion and belief that Aliens Built Earth uh, you'll find some type of clothing or headwear from these cats on me at almost all times, and that was before DOD45 partnered with them. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Head over to brimoftheworld.com and start building your wardrobe now. And uh, yo, I just noticed they're offering free shipping in the U.S., so, I mean, really, can you beat that? No, you cannot. I'm in, baby. What's up? Hi. It's like Flynn. How are you? Wow, look at how fancy this is. You're with the big my, time. <laughs> my, my stuff has like a like a grocery store plant that uh, flowers that my friend gave. I I I look perfectly weird. I love. No, it. you look amazing. Do you, you want to know how are you? By the way, I'm good, pal. How are you guys? Fantastic! It's lovely to yeah. see your face. You too, dude. You, <laughs> you know guys. You know what the danger is with having a um, a refrigerator in your background is that I'm going to ask. We're going to make it. <laughs> is that I'm going to ask. We're going to. What's in your refrigerator? <laughs> you can still ask that, but we'll make this sexier. It's like an episode of Cribs. <laughs> <laughs> you know when dude. they go through Cribs and and they open up their refrigerator and it's like all perfectly for, for sure yeah for sure i drink hennessy sure. all the time <laughs> <laughs> mine mine is so many liquids mine is like kombucha water coffee Lacroix, booze it's just like it's like do i eat any solids i don't think i do <laughs> well you're not supposed to i agree i think these days <laughs> you know i guess not I was thinking about you the other day. We drove past the Dutch store and I was like, oh, we should go in and get some Hoshlock. Is that how you say it? Kind of, yeah. Hagelschlock? Yeah, Hoshlock. No, no. But it reminded me of when we met you in Amsterdam and we went for pancakes with the sprinkles on top. The most fun. The yeah, most then fun. That, those sprinkles are, are what I'm talking about. Yeah, the little that chocolate was... sprinkles. Yeah, totally. We had a roommate uh, when we lived in London, when we lived in a house with seven other people. Um, And he was from Holland. And every morning he would be like, this is my breakfast that I make every day. And it was like a piece of white bread with butter and then chocolate sprinkles. Yes. Yeah. That's that's And I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's the shit. It's the best. <laughs> That's what I used to eat all the time. So my family owns that Dutch store in Utah. Wait, where I don't I don't even know which one you're talking about. It's across the street from a beans and brews on second like Highland. And, oh, vaguely. Okay. And so they yeah. 
yeah. I had no idea. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So, well, uh, yeah. So thanks for joining us on the show today. It is really no joke. It's really fantastic to have you on here with us. So are we already recording? Is this the yeah. is this the thing? Yeah, that's how we start out. We start out with a little <laughs> little icebreaker, get to know you, and nice. uh, and then we then we jump right in. But I like, to, but I do like to ask a few things before. Well, I already asked them. I asked how you were doing, and that's the most important. And you said, "I'm good, man. I I really, uh, you know, you're catching me at a good point. Everything ebbs and flows, right? But this is like, there's we'll, we'll get into it. But there's there's some stuff that I've been waiting to uh, gestate and then manifest and come to fruition for a bit, and and they're kind of all happening and same time so that's good yeah but and you know i wasn't ready for him i wasn't ready for him before and i realized that now so there's i will say there's really good uh organizational material that's happened when you have when you have something like that going on like when you have an idea or you have a project or you have something that's kind of coming up do Mm. you do you is it all internalized and then once you have a conversation with someone publicly or then that's when it's for you, it starts to, uh, that means it's going to start manifesting. Yeah. You're talking about like plays and theater work. Yeah. Or anything. Yeah. Anything that, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know what, dude, I do a really weird thing. I do a thing where, and I think you'll appreciate this. If I have a hunch, there's this old British director named, uh, Peter Brook who passed away just last year. He was like 90 something, but he saw the director's hunch where, you know, it's not a fully formed idea. You don't really know the pieces, the particles, like any artistic endeavor. And when I get, when I'm at that point, when I'm at the beginning infant stages, uh, I will make a poster. And so I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll come up with an image. And that image may change later, not often, usually 70% of the time that, that's the image that goes to the end of the production. Um, so I'll do that and then I'll, I'll make a playlist. And then I'll start talking about it. I used to be a little too antsy and a little too, you knew me when I was more of like a frenetic psychopath. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I've downshifted a bit uh, just because I'm old and, and jaded. Yeah. And, um, and so now everything is much more hopefully holistic and, and I put things through a process and again, a gestation period. Um, is it jaded or wiser? Oh, I'm being self-deprecating. That's another thing that I, I try to work <laughs> on too. So yeah, it's, pro- it's probably some sort of smarts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I, I got a face that is like, uh, it's like an I, I, I want to hate you kind of face. So I always lean on the self-deprecating. Like people immediately are like, I think I have like a very, it's whatever the male version of resting bitch face is. I have like, <laughs> I have like a fuck that guy face. <laughs> Adrian, Adrian can relate because she's been, she's been called out to, or been known to have resting bitch As, face. Especially on this podcast. I'm like. You know, what's funny. People I, are like, you look so mean. Why oh, are you yeah, so I, mean? I do that, dude. I do, I do a playlist. I do a poster. And then what I was, um, what, I, what I've gotten better at is that I, uh, I let things, yeah, you know, because there's no real rush. Sometimes you have to strike, but I think with the plays, with any theater work, 
unless they're adaptations of like classic works, which I can bang out, you know, in five days, because it's minority report. I'm using different versions. I'm kind of doing like a mosaic of stuff. But with the original plays, which is what I'm more focused on with these days, it's a good idea, dude. It'll be a good idea in six months. It'll be a good idea in a year. And I need to just like let that kind of yeah. go in my, my bloodstream. And usually now when I've done that process, the things come out the other end way better, way, way, way better. Well, my, and I, I totally understand that my, I think my problem with that mine's never, the ideas are always going to be great. My fear is I'm going to die before I even get it out. By the way, you look great, man. You do. You look great. I like it. Thanks dude. I'm really, I'm, I'm trying to figure out 44 feels like my best version, but you know, when you're like thinning hair and you like those 15 pounds take triple the amount of work that stuff sucks they take no work to put on <laughs> none none i'll have half a bag of gummy worms and then i'm like what a 20 pounds well, how did this happen I uh, say that. <laughs> but i do feel like i'm 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 able to kind of meet people and talk to people and, and be with myself in a way um that I never had before. So that's no. very, very cool. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good feeling. All right, I'm going to set this 45-minute uh, yeah. timer to drop just to keep me knowing where, how far I should be into the drawing. Let me start this. Let me start off with um, with a couple of Sophie's Choice questions while I get into the mode of drawing and having a discussion with you. So cool. the, first, the first Sophie's Choice question I have for you is, nine-inch nails hurt or Johnny Cash's hurt? Oh, wow. Johnny Cash's hurt. Ah, sweet. Well, what about Harrison Ford or Francis Ford Coppola? Harrison Ford. Wow, look at you. What about Forrest Whitaker or Whitney Houston? Uh, Whitney Houston. Yeah. Are you are you a fan yeah. of Forrest Whitaker though? I'm sure. Totally, but, but I mean, I think you have to you have to go with the dead person. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What about well? The, what about Whitney Houston? Whitney Houston or Britney Spears? He's really thinking about it. <laughs> Whitney Houston still for sure. It was hard for me to find Wits or Hertford, so I took. Uh, uh, I was taking uh, Hurt. Is it Hertford? Yeah, um, in in Britain, if we want to be pretentious, they they say Hartford. No, it oh. totally is, but it's very American to be like Hurt. <laughs> you know hey oh you know what with last night i watched wildlife dude and um wow that's a that's a that's a uh a dark not dark but or would you call it dark yeah yeah i mean the, the, when the ending came around i'm like no i want to fast forward never watched it before i had never seen it before you never you never saw that before no oh yeah man that, you look uh, great in that that was sort of like Oh, thanks. Outside still, but the insides. Secrets shout. Tens like here, most stay. Or never make it. Sooner or later. They have to break the cage. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I did. I, you know, I have a tendency to transform a little bit more now, which is probably fairly self-indulgent and sort of not good for any sort of relationship or whatever. But I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I really liked playing that guy. And, and the thing is that sucker, that was the thing that uh, we established this film company that I got into grad school. And that was our last project that we shot. And we shot that all in, in Utah and it went to Cannes. And yeah. so I remember looking at my, my business partner, um, Ryan, uh, <laughs> and he like came out to France and we went and it was so dreamy to do that. And I was like, should we stop? Should we like stop <laughs> on now being on top? And so we did. So we like, we haven't, yeah. And then I just went to grad school and started the theater company, but we we see each other. We talk every week, and he lives here. And I'm sure we'll go we'll go back to it and do it. You know, it's one of those things. Like I look at that movie, and it's intense. I would definitely write it and shoot it very differently. Now. Of course. Yeah, I was kind of doing like a bit of kitchen sink shit with that, where I was throwing everything, and and it's a little muddy. I'm I'm a really 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 big fan of minimalism and economy of story. Um, I'm writing a. a this is the first time I've ever been hired to write a screenplay um, for a subsequent film. And uh, I'm very like, I don't want to jinx it, but it has like really good actors attached to it. And these producers saw my checkoff piece, the first play we did out of the pandemic last spring. And they literally saw this like black box weird play that I did and, and said, you know, we have, half a million ready to go and here's the play do you want to adapt the play into a screenplay and um the point of all that is that the process of that is like me just taking a machete to things sure. and getting rid of stuff um i'm a big fan of doing doing less and so i think there's a radicalness in that which is now with the theater company you know uh we we get feedback where people are like wow this feels very punk rock it feels very new and radical and i'm like half of that is because we have no set and we're you know rubbing two pennies together and it's it's scotch tape and bubble gum so it's still very punk rock but it's because it's like minimalism sure are you more uh writer and director now than acting are you still bold are you i mean where are you where's your head space at mostly my headspace is always writing and directing now, probably for the last seven, eight years. I just feel like it's a better usage of of uh, what I've learned and, and my, my skills and kind of where my brain lays. But strangely, this play that we just finished here in, in L.A., we did a three-week run, this very wild Oedipus Antigone um, two-hander, where I read those old plays and I was like, Oedipus is a boomer. He's just a straight up boomer. And Antigone in between the two plays is taking care of her old father. And I saw her in scrubs with the mask. And I thought, this is all very relevant. And, uh, and so I, I wrote this thing in like five or six days and found an, an Antigone to play it and found a really cool space over here in um, East LA, Frogtown. And basically, it's a, it's a monologue. It's a 75-minute monologue 
whilst I'm the old man, which again, it's like, I, I feel forever 23 years old. Sure. And, but I grew my beard out and, and the actress was like, motherfucker, you're the guy, you should be the dad. And so I did. And what it required was, um, you know, he, he gouges his eyes out before this play. And so I really did the play blind. So Ooh. I would cover my eyes and, um, I have no lines until the very, very end of the play. So to answer your question, my head is always in writing and directing, but weirdly this play, it looks, I haven't like officially announced it, but I'm excited to always try to manifest and be witchy and put it out there. There's a, there's a likelihood that we're going to transfer this little two-hander to New York in July. And um, for me, that's very dreamy to be able to, uh, I've never, you know, 40 years I've never performed in New York. I've done some like short, like a short film or two in New York, but I've never done any theater work there. And um, that's the big cheese, right? Performing theater in New York city. Like that's the, I mean, it's a certain level of eyeballs that you're going to get that you're never going to get anywhere else. For me, I prefer London. London is my, oh, my yeah. favorite place on the planet. How long were you living there for? I was there for three and a half years and I miss it every day. Um, and it's just, you know, it's embedded in my soul. Are there any plans for you? Like, do you ever feel like that's, you'll end up there again? Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to make that happen. Um, I think the universe has, has allowed me to sort of stay afloat and shift and pivot my life in a way where like that could be a possibility. And I just think my, my sensibilities and, and the things that I do work really well there. But I, I have been um, really happy that when I came back, even when I was in Utah for that two-year period right after, that, you know, I, I feel like there's there's a European influence that I, I love and I'm drawn to that I was supposed to bring back to the States, that faithfully... I was supposed to like show this and even in a, you know, very sort of like we think we're the coolest place in the world type and type of place like fucking Los Angeles. Even they were with this these last two plays, they were like, what is this? This is new and fresh. And that made me very excited. You know, yeah. I had I had people that I went to high school with and people that didn't know wit from 2013 till now that got to see this brand new version of me and what and my work and that was very very exciting i mean this two-hand play which is called blindness and periphery of sight and uh, most people don't mess with the greek plays like this and uh and i really went pretty pretty crazy with it and um found an actress who she's never done any theater oh like at all wow she's done some short films and and I gave her this script, which again is a 75 minute monologue and she didn't bat an eye. She was like, awesome. I think I can do it. She's a monster. She's such a monster. I love her. And so when we, you know, we're, we're, we're knocking on wood. I think it's going to happen. So we're going to, we're going to do that. And then the screenplay, hopefully we'll shoot that film next year, which I've never shot a full feature by myself. And, uh, and these guys are kind of giving me carte blanche. I read the play. I was like, I like the elements of it, but I want to 
get really weird with it. Very David Lynch, very oh, Yorgos cool. Lanthimos. And the playwright and the producers were both very cool with that. Usually it's death by meetings and you have all of these different egos in the room, but I, that's not happening. And so I feel very fortunate that all my creative outlets right now are with partners and scenarios where people leave me alone and let me do what I do. <laughs> that's when you get your best work. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, Past. That was killer, by the way, dude. I'm gonna oh, get that as a tattoo. I already, <laughs> I already know that's happening. <laughs> hey, let me throw a, a, a Sophie's choice at you while we're right here. Love them. I love these Sophie choice. More of these. Um, Blake Griffin or Kathy Griffin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Blake, man. Yeah, Blake, all the way, Blake. I know you're a big you're a big Clippers fan, right? Or has yeah, that changed? I, no, it's totally true. I mean, I'm not as like, I'm not like buying headbands and wearing jerseys like I used to back in the day. That was when, uh, that was when I was trying not to get laid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you mean not being a diehard fan isn't, doesn't, isn't a big turn on for, <laughs> for women? I'm, I don't know, Adrian, you can, you can shut this out, but I got, <laughs> I got like a sneaking suspicion that like sports jerseys aren't the most like, hot look for dudes i would agree but yeah. other people may not um so so yeah no the, it's actually kind of interesting i was thinking about this because like yeah i'm still very connected to that team i've kind of been with them through the roughest of periods and i just love it and it's it feels like sort of like a metaphor for my life that my sports team is very parallel with a, a lot of what i feel i've gone through in my life sure and so that feels kind of kind of cool hey maybe that's why you were attracted to them i think actually 100% i always was like you know my family was dodgers fans but i i never really was into the lakers i liked shaquille for a while but i never really liked the vibe of the laker fans because i feel they're you know, they're kind of entitled and they're kind of bullies and Clipper fans. Like to be a Clipper fan, you have to like, really like the minutia. You have yeah. to like the details. You have to like kind of the small victories. Sure. Usually that's what it is. And so for me, that's a, you know, that's another thing. Like I don't need big stuff to happen in my life. And once I sort of released myself from expectation um, you know, I would say not to, to go down this and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but you know, our mutual friend, Joel, I talk to him all the time and he's seen it firsthand. I've, I've gone through this really heavy spiritual renaissance over the last six years, um, that I really needed, that I felt like I had leapfrogged. And, and so my art has followed that lead and I think has the DNA of this transition. And I really love you know, that most of my life these days as a director, as a teacher, because I, I do workshops and I go to different universities and, you know, try to make Russian theater sound fucking cool and get kids excited. Um, so that stuff. And then, you know, I, I, I love going to the desert and people will talk to me all the time about like the spirituality of that. And so all of the different roles in my life are very from a place where I'm like, um, like not a father figure, but I think somebody that needs to be, uh, uh, reliable and that I can't, I can't be selfish and I can't be, um, 
up my own ass. I have to really be open and centered. And and that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken, you know, a real good look in the mirror maybe six, seven years ago. You know? Yeah. I love it. People came to this without giving too much away, and I keep promoting this play, but that's just <laughs> where my head's at. Um, you know, Oedipus goes through this thing where he's he's done these horrific things, slept with his mom, killed his dad, all these heavy dramatic As you things, do. Right? And 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 then harms himself by removing his eyes and and he's 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 at nothing he's you know like a lot of boomers like a lot of people our parents generation they they had this one idea of life that centered around uh accumulation and and acquiring and power and status and um having you know uh things having a lot of things a car a house yeah it was very boomer yeah and and he at the end of the play before he dies kind of has a reckoning and and in the play it's sort of off stage you hear about this transformation where i was like i want to see that and so i thought well (laughs) you know people in our generation and younger the way that they're kind of getting to do spiritual work is they're going through mindfulness. They're going through meditation. They're going through exploring psychedelics. And mm-hmm. for me, all of my religious upbringing completely got replaced by all of that. Yeah. And and so at the end of the play, he legitimately goes through this acid trip with projections in the background and the desert and starscape. And I'm in my underwear and it's, it's, it's big. It's epic. It's epic. Hey, I was just thinking when you said you're in your underwear, you're also in your underwear in wildlife. Do you does do you get self conscious <laughs> of that being in your underwear and scene? Because I know I would have a hard time with that, but you're a pro. But I think that that's just like a crazy coincidence, actually, that those two projects <laughs> we're talking about. Well, when I did that movie, I was probably I was the thinnest, the most emaciated, but I. You know, it was it wasn't healthy. There was there was definitely drug use and different things that I um, used. Yeah, you seemed you place. seemed like you were in a dark dark headspace through that. That yeah, uh, I, I was doing that like movie. that. I did. I mean, I, I think it's okay for me to talk about. It. I don't mind it. I kind of look up to people that are transparent about it. I had always been self conscious about my weight. Probably after my dad died when I was 14, I started packing it on as like emotional eating. And being a short kid, you're already like behind the the curve. You're already sort of, um, you know, looked at as a best friend or a runt or like the little whippersnapper. And, and so that psychologically always fucked with me. And so I found this stuff like a, like a fat burner. And I, I thought, well, it's not, you know, it's not actually speed, but it did oh, all this stuff I that see. was like speed. Sure. So it was very methy, very speed, and I got addicted to it for years and years and years. And I was the most trim I ever was in that film, which having to be in my underwear at that point, that was fine. This last one, this one with Oedipus, was a totally different story because I'm not my most fit and trim, but I'm definitely my most happy. Yeah. And, Mentally. And so I, yeah, and so I kind of just felt, you know, it's going to be exposure therapy. Um, I dated a person 
during the pandemic that was really, really great at times. And then there were other things about it that wasn't that good. And, and I experienced a thing that I don't think a lot of guys go through. I think a lot of women go through, but I experienced um, some body shaming during that relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was really hardcore. And it was a thing that in 40 years of my life and all the different left and right turns of trauma that I feel uh, I've weathered and been victorious, I had never encountered that. And it was so personal and damaging and hard. And when this play came around, I wasn't trying to play Oedipus. I was looking for a 65-year-old actor to play what we picture Oedipus. And then when the actor said, the, the, the Antigone said, it's you, you should do this. It made sense like immediately. And I just thought, well, cool. I'm just going to show as much skin as possible as a big fuck you to that relationship. Sure. Oh, yeah. And so I did. And it was very empowering, very liberating to to be able to do that. Um, has your art Has your art always been your source of therapeutic healing and... Um, kind of looking back on your or like inner, um, you know, like self reflection and stuff. Have you always, have you always consciously used it as that, or has it always just worked out that way? I think um, subconsciously, I would be dealing with like dad stuff through my art, and I did that for a while, um, and I'd be dealing with religious trauma stuff through my art. But I, it wasn't mature; it hadn't found its place. It was a lot of tries. Um, and so I think time became the real sort of oven and helped bake things better. And so now it's very conscious. It's very, very conscious, but I try not to do it in a way that feels on the nose. You know, I, I'm writing a play right now that's literally called science fiction. Um, I have three plays that are, that are science fiction genre which sounds crazy to do a sci-fi play. Like, what does that look like? But essentially it's ex machina, but on stage, it's still about characters mm-hmm. and relationships. Um, but I had wanted to write about this idea that when you have a breakup, sometimes yourself or the other person have to pretend like that person is dead. Like you can't necessarily always have the most squeaky clean, you know, kumbaya ending. And, um, because I'm a Scorpio, my 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 love runs very hot and deep and intense. And so when that has to be severed, sometimes I've gone through a thing where, um, you know, the person leaves and they they kind of have to. It has to be like a death. But I didn't want to write that specifically and as on the nose. So I came up with this uh, plot line. Um, that, that deals with that, but you wouldn't know that that's what it was about if I hadn't, if you don't hear me say that. So I try to, between that, between my art and, and drums, when I was a kid, playing the drums was such a great release to just beat the shit out of things. Right. And it stayed with me. I mean, I live in this apartment, so I can't really play them in here, but. Do you have a drum st- kit in there? Yeah, yeah. In, my, in, in the back. It's I have a little painting room and a and a, and and that's where the drums live. Back so there. you still I, play often? I wouldn't say that I play often, but I I love it and I would like to. And I'm literally still at 44, always going like, let's start a band. Like I'm yeah. always thinking. Well, hey, speaking of bands, you, what's this? Oh, what did I see? You you had a band called uh, 
natural history or something. And when I wake you up, I'm coming over. We're gonna go out, I won't take no for an answer. And I will take you up, Mauna Loa, the long mountain where lava dances. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. still is that still something you're doing or is it um so i it's a it was a two-person thing with my friend austin and kind of like a like a folky thing and so we did a, a an ep that we recorded up in the mountains i don't remember what year that was maybe 2018 17 something like that and uh literally pulled my drums up a sled into a oh, snowy cool. cave. It was really, really cool. Is that something that we can that people that we can hear? Or is there somewhere to hear that music, or is it? Yeah, I think there's a band camp for natural history. Oh, but cool. then uh, we did. We haven't released it yet because we're just weirdos. <laughs> we did like a, an EP of covers during the pandemic, and so there's like um, there's like uh, a cover of that thing you do, but done very folksy. And there's a cover of like a Sam Smith song and a Ben Fold song and then a song from Nico um, that was on like the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack. And so we, I've messed around with that. That's probably the last recording. But uh, I really, I vacillate, man. I vacillate between wanting to play the drums like I'm making love to it. Like it's it's soft and there's the texture and it's all that. And then there's the other part of me that just wants to be crazy and punk and beat the shit out of them break sticks and so i'm in that vibe right now where i'm listening to like a lot of idols and i'm listening to a lot of uh this uk punk band called bad nerves i feel like they have the energy that like really makes sense that i don't know i feel like when we were growing up there were certain bands like green day or whatever that we liked but now in retrospect i'm like Ugh, they're kind well, of cheesy were you ever were you I know you like Brit punk, right? Yeah. Here's a few I have for you. Sex Pistols or the Buzzcocks? Well, Buzzcocks, thousand percent. Yeah, good, nice. Thousand percent, thousand percent. Uh, what about the Addicts or the Adverts? Oh, wow. Probably the Adverts. Oh, cool. Wasn't I didn't know a whole lot of the Adverts, but I was an Addicts fan. Like I yeah, I'm yeah, that was cool. I saw that you somewhere. I saw that you were into Brit punk, and I thought that's awesome. Of course, Brit. Of course, Wits into Brit punk. <laughs> I just, I just feel like I'm always into. You know what I'm really into? I, I really love a, a, a good protest or a good like revolution and whatever that's manifested in. Whether that's manifested in in art scene, in, you know, in Greenwich Village whether that's manifested in a, a film scene in the late 60s in Paris with Godard and Truffaut, whether that's manifested with, you know, um, there was a there was a period in, in Britain in the 90s where it was called In Your Face, Y-E-R theater, where it was the complete opposite of Noel Coward and all of sort of those drawing room dramas. Um, and it was it was grotesque, it was offensive, it was, it caused a real panic. But now all of those playwrights in that period are are kind of revered. A woman named Sarah Kane, who kind of took what Beckett did in the 50s and just went to a more gruesome place. I mean, um, 
she had a very sort of like Elliot Smith life track where she she killed herself at the end. And so, you know, you know, I always wonder about that. I always I, 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 I tell myself, I go, Hertford, you can't go that deep because all the people that you identify with, the Philip Seymour Hoffman's or the Sarah Kings or whatever, they go too far. They go to the dark. Sure. And, uh, you know, my dad did that. My dad. Uh, ended his life early and so I think I've had a long time decades and decades and decades to kind of figure out who I am but also try to do that in the healthiest way possible and I've, I've not always been successful whether it's substance stuff or um, fractured relationships or narcissism you know like mm-hmm. I run very passionate and that that is a hair's trigger away from looking like a complete asshole and a tyrant and so sure. I have to always manage that and and understand that I may get passionate but if I'm talking about myself even though I'm allowed to on this but I can't do this at a coffee date because <laughs> it's not nice it's very unkind right <laughs> well when you were st- talking about protest uh mm-hmm. have has that gone have we lost has this has society have we lost protest music and like things like uh, Neil Young, you know, and, and ha- like, have we lost that or do people or, or protests aren't still happening on a, on a high level? That's such a good question. I, I fucking love it. Cause I've been thinking about this. Um, I actually think we're in a really good spot in 2022 as Americans, as artists, as people that are curious with change and evolution and, and the movement of things. I think we're in a really good spot where people are now ready for some sort of engagement. And I think there was a, a while during the pandemic and, and up until recently where we were numbed out. Sure. We had fatigue. And not to get on my soapbox, you know, but like, I mean, who fucking cares? When, <laughs> when, when we're living through our first um, pseudo dictatorship, as a country, it's going to affect you. And I think we had to, to 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 get rid of the barrage and sort of the onslaught of news and opinion and the you know the age of commentary with Facebook and Instagram. Sure. Like we had to really figure out how to pull back from that. But now I think we have a voracious appetite. And I don't know. I think it's it's up it's up to a um a few people to really be bold and to um, not be afraid. I have this really interesting idea that I've been obsessed about with recently that that fear is the, is the great motivator. And so in our real life, when we wake up, we don't wake up, if we're being honest, always being so holistic and meditative. We try to get there each day. We try to bring that in. But really, if we're being being honest, that alarm goes off and we're going, fuck, I'm going to be late. And if I'm late, I'm going to get fired. And if I get fired, I don't get that income. And if I don't get that income, my mortgage is affected, blah, 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 blah. And so we're motivated by fear in our real life and we try to push it away. But as a theater practitioner and as an artist, I really think that as far as stage work goes and as far as theater and film work, um, embracing fear, saying like, there's an old, this is very geeky, so I'll be geeky now, Adrian, it's my <laughs> turn, is that, uh, is that this, this man that every, you know, most people know, Konstantin Stanislavski, who created kind of 
what's known as like the original method um, of acting. He worked with Anton Chekhov, who's my play, my favorite playwright. And um, they didn't like each other, actually. They worked together a lot, but they didn't really vibe. They didn't like each other that much because uh, they were very different people. And Stanislavski brought to the forefront this theory and this philosophy of of motivations and of doing sensory work and finding substitutions from your real life and kind of putting that through a, a process and a, and a filter. And as a director, as an actor, I've always heard, and you've heard this, and you know, and probably said this to people yourself, that what do you want? What does your character want? What's your objective? What's your motive? Well, when you say want, I think, and I thought this like during my runs the last year, I'd go on my morning runs and I was like, I think it's backwards because we're, we're obsessed with what we want as a character, as an artist. Then, then everything is like gold paved, right? And you start to like make very narcissistic characters. If Hamlet is he, she, they, whoever's playing this role, because Hamlet's one of those great roles which you could go a million different directions with. And it is the best play ever written for a reason, in my opinion. Um, that if Hamlet is being concerned with what they want, you know, if you ask 99 out of 100 actors and directors, what does Hamlet want? They're all going to say, oh, to avenge their father's death. But if you say, what is Hamlet fear? What is Hamlet dread? That makes it more immediate. That makes it more electric and it makes the conflict thicker and stronger and more interesting. And so, you know, there's a different bunch of different ways to answer that, but you know, maybe Hamlet's fear is that he, she, they doesn't want Gertrude to go the same way that their father did. So everything Hamlet does in the play is try to preserve that relationship, which he can feel in real time slipping through his fingers. And so I'm obsessed with this idea about fear because I think, going back to your earlier question, as Americans, I think we're so fearful. We're so fearful of looking wrong, of looking stupid, of looking unattractive, of looking mental, of looking off. And I think, you know, the more that we can get rid of that, the better we're going to be. Well, and yeah, it feels like I, I tell people a lot with my art, all my stuff is, all my drawings are introspective or when I draw, it's what I'm trying to think about that I can't outwardly discuss because I'm not able, I don't have the mental or the, the the vocabulary to explain what I feel. So my drawings have always been what I feel, but it takes me about two years to process what I've experienced. I draw from everything mm. that I've observed and experienced. And maybe that's what's happening with us right now being through you know, uh, Trump, Trump era and, um, you know, uh, uh, the pandemic and everything, maybe while that was happening, we, we just hadn't had the time to, to process all the shit that's happened. Cause it does feel kind of like right at this moment with the, you know, the midterms that just happened and everything, there is sort of this feeling of people kind of like recognizing, holy shit, this world when we just been through, like how yeah. do, how are we going to process all of that madness? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm very emboldened and very encouraged that I think people are really having a reckoning with their fatigue and saying I don't want to be fatigued anymore. I yeah. don't want to be angry anymore. Anger is one of those things that 
hey man, we're going to segue into this because this always happens when anybody talks to me these days. When I started messing around with psychedelics, my my anger and trauma backpack hit the floor, and I sure. I don't I don't fuck with anger anymore. Yeah, um, and in LA where there's you know the opportunity to have road rage every day or whatever, um, I just let it go, man. And and I think that the more that we can do that, the the places that have been sort of the opposition, air quotes, their fuel is all anger, and so they try to make you angry. They they egg you on. They try to incite anger, and if anger is not a thing then yeah. we can really kind of like tune that out which is that's how you take control exciting. that's right that's right there's so many things that are more interesting to be to be angry about i mean i think that sometimes we get into these big philosophical or political debates online because it's a way for us to feel some sort of a community and b to feel validated that our ideas are heard, but usually it's just, it's, it's back and forth. And so, you know, listening is a much better way to do that. I had a mentor in, in Britain who said, you know, if you don't remember anything about these, uh, these classes, but you remember that, uh, that the director's job is to learn, look, listen, listen again, listen a third time and then speak then you're going to be in business yeah it's and listening is at least and yeah listening and hearing and computing it is a incredibly difficult uh skill that's right <laughs> hey, so yeah uh, I, think, I don't know i think it's a great question i could talk about it for hours and hours and hours but i think you know the fact that your podcast has a theme of art and my life um hasn't I haven't always been this lucky to be able to be consumed by by what I love but I've been able to find a niche where I'm I'm writing I'm I'm directing I'm painting I'm doing music and that's literally I'm finding ways to make money which you're a, a giant inspiration of going like that's what I want to do that's how I'm going to make money at it that's you know I think I think we're cut from the same cloth and I love yeah. I love that well thank but, you so yeah, I think we're in a big protest and I think it's it's artists like us that and um it's up to us to kind of not necessarily scream and shout and tell other people that they're stupid. I think what needs to be communicated better as far as like the opposition and is to say like look the reason the reason it's upsetting is because you could do better and you could live a life that's more enriching if you kind of woke up. I'm not trying to tell you that you're stupid. I'm trying to tell you that for whatever reason you became susceptible and it and it, it got into your your veins and I and I want to help you to to recover from that and to heal. Yeah, it's like your service. Yeah, you know, it's like we do this Oedipus play. We didn't really know what it was going to be if people were going to dig it. I was affectionately calling it Lars von Sophocles because it's not like a great it's it's a rough watch. It's like a Lars von Trier movie on stage. And um, I had grown men, you know, standing ovations at the end saying, like, this was healing. I needed to, to reckon with my father's death. And I needed to reckon with, like, guilt and shame and grief. All of the Greek plays, they're ultimately, when you boil it down, they're about grief. And I think it's a really interesting topic to, to deal with. Like, how do you... How do you understand? How do you justify? And how do you sort of become resolved with grief? 
You talk it out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You talk it out. You totally talk it out. Let me hit you with uh, some of the, some of the staples since the timer had gone off. Wow, it's so good. It's so well, it's bad. it'll it, well, it'll be better. The what I what I send you will be way better. I'll, uh, yeah, during the after recording this? part. Yeah, of course. Bro, that's so cool. Dude. <laughs> that's very cool. Right on. Let me let me hit you with that. We do a trivia thing on the show, so now it's cool. going to be a pop trivia, and I'm going to give you a decade <laughs> that you can choose from. Okay. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or the 2000s? Let's do let's do 90s. Okay. 90s is fun. Oh, I'm feeling <laughs> very not confident about any of them. Okay. Yeah, but how about nowadays kids can say, oh, you're from the 1990s? <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird, man. The Prince song, Nothing Compares to You. Ah, oh, shit. That's too Tornado easy. Connor. Yeah, that one's too easy. All right, here we which, go. Which, by the way, which, by the way, <laughs> I remember growing up and being like, this this person's really intense, you know, because I grew up Mormon, so I grew up stupid and sheltered. <laughs> and uh, and I remember being like, this person's so intense. I, I re-watched some Sinead stuff like a month ago, and I was like, the prettiest person of all time. Yeah. I was like, how did we, like... Just because she had a shaved head, like we're so lame. Well, we're so back, lame. yeah, that was a head. that was a time thing. She was ahead of her time. That's she really was. And I was just like, wow, if that person was on the scene right now, I would have the biggest crush on her. Well, and that's why everyone all that's why generations always go back. You know why why we redo <laughs> things because with the time that it's happening, eventually it becomes lame. But then new generations can go like, yeah, now they're wearing like my kids wear eighties shit. And I'm like, Oh God, that's coming back or nineties or whatever. Cool, but let's you know, be honest. You're raising pretty cool. cool human beings. You guys. We got lucky. Well, okay, here we go. First sold, first sold in 1999, which device turned its head towards a person wiggled its tail on its trophy plaque and sang cheesy cover songs. Uh, Billy the Bass. Big mouth Billy Bass. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know. That. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, I didn't know that. What? Yeah. Um, like that's wrong. <laughs> My brain was just thinking like Furby, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no, you know why I know that? You know I know that is because my favorite television show of all time. And like if I if I'm gonna rewatch it with somebody, if they've never watched it, I'm like, look, this is a commitment where we have to watch both seasons and the Christmas special, the office BBC. They oh, had an oh. episode where he's got the big mouth Billy on the wall. So that's why uh, you, yeah, but that's what you use. That's what, that's where you get, get your knowledge. Well then here, totally. here's my other thing that uh, another staple, it's a useless factoid. And um, this is going to be a useless factoid that you uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, but we're going to share it with everyone and we're going to okay. keep it. Uh, so two of Shakespeare's plays have been translated into Klingon. Do you know which plays? Into Klingon, like they were part of Star Trek. That the whole plays have been translated into Klingon language. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Your reaction is great. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to take a guess. Are yeah. they? Can I ask a? Can I ask a hint? Sure. Are both of these plays one of the more known Shakespeare plays? Yes. Okay. 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 I'm going to say I don't think they're going to be the romances because I don't think that that makes sense. So was it used on the show? No, 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 no. They actually just translate because, you know, Klingon is an actual langu language. So this is just like fanfic that they did. They translated. Yep. I, well, okay. I don't know who exactly did. Yeah, I, I don't know who did it, but whoever speaks Klingon translated them into Klingon language. And I, I so I, which like, means what use is that? <laughs> I feel like 
Kenny Lear would be really interesting to see that way. Is yeah, that see, one of them? What here's the thing for you is you know all the plays kind of inside and out. So you're trying mm. you're you're going the route where you're like, well, what would be kind of in relation with Klingon and the story? You're right. Right. But it's yeah, not, right? It's they're not. totally they're totally disassociated. Okay. Yeah. Fuck it. Then I'm gonna say RNJ and Midsummer. <laughs> nope. The answer Neither? is Hamlet and much ado about nothing. <laughs> of course, of course, of here's course. A, here's a Sophie's choice for you: Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, thousand percent. And I'll get. This is where I'll get real geeky, and I'll take all of my like <laughs> cool theater, artsy fartsy credibility and flush it down the tubes. The new, um, the new Star Wars that's Endar, Andor, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I do. I mean, oh, I don't hey, watch. I think we saw that. Oh, the we new must one. have. It, it's so good. It's like. Blade Runner, but with Star Wars. Oh, it's that's cool. So good, and people aren't watching it because Disney, you know, threw out like four shows too much calendar year. Yeah, it's so too much. Over it. But it's the best. Like okay. I was a huge fan when Rogue One came out because I was like, "There's one lightsaber in that movie, and it's at the very end, and it's essentially just a military drama with battles, and that's why it's so fucking cool." But hey, didn't you do a voiceover for a Star Wars or Clone <laughs> Wars or something? Yeah, man. I yeah, I was in I was in Clone Wars. I did uh, this guy named Cadet Crazy. He's in the Academy. And the thing about that, like, first of all, that was one of the gigs that really, when I got the Manila envelope from Lucasfilm, and they sent me the contract and the script and blah blah blah. blah. This is like two thousand and six 2007 um like my knees buckled because it said in the on the letter it said wit now that you're part of the, the star wars family and like i i am so jaded that that doesn't happen very often and that was like unfucking believable um so that that was pretty cool but the other cool thing that's happened regarding that gig is that i have a friend who's uh she she's very much on the zeitgeist with all the disney and marvel stuff and she was like hey the reddit this is this was like a year ago it's like hey the reddit boards are going bananas about your character and i was like what do you mean she goes well there's a fan theory that your mom hooked up with obi-wan kenobi and you're the love child (laughs) (laughs) and i was like Dude, I'm. I really wanted to get an action figure, and I was bummed out. I was like, once I get an action figure, maybe it's I'll over. Yeah. But to be a possible kin of Kenobi would—that's bananas. Well, let me ask you something then. We're being all open and everything. Do you get? Do you get a sense of embarrassment or or feel shame or anything for like your past work, like you know what the the work that you were doing when you were younger? Is there um, a feeling of kind of pain or um, I don't know what the pain's the right word, but no, you're, you're framing it perfectly. Uh, yeah. You know, I think like, firstly, I was so lucky to be able to be given a good version of, of working in the industry as a kid. Cause my mom kept us at public school we didn't live right in the city. We lived in the suburbs. So I was able to skateboard and play drums and be a normal kid. 
Um, but I was auditioning a lot. And so a lot of things that the other kids got to do, which is, you know, play soccer, be on, any, on a soccer club afterwards. Like I didn't really get to do that. Um, and there are certain gigs, there are certain gigs and certain credits that are, are I'm, I'm proud of, you know, Jurassic is a, is a thing where it's like, Jurassic Park, it's not Ernest Saves Christmas, right? So it, it's, I'm proud of that. But there are other things, sitcoms and other things that are just kind of cheesy. And, and the problem with that is like, imagine you're, you know, like when you were 13 and 14, and your entire photo album, and it's like, you know, it's 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 forever on the internet you're immortalized yeah. and also part a, of a, a a fake world because i you know i just i was kind of just looking up even doing more deeper research into you and i never realized that you were on an episode of full house but i'm looking at that picture of you and stephanie yeah. and like you're adorable in that picture but i as i was looking at it i was wondering like i wonder if that's tough to 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 see out there well, Especially because is, that was that's a whole that's a child that you probably don't even really know anymore. Like that that person that was there because you're uh kind old. of I actually have very vivid because that was that was also the year that my dad passed away. I oh. did two really big gigs. I did the Nightmare movie and then I did Full House in the same year, which my mom was really smart to keep like me busy and yeah, of course, yeah. active. I think it was a good distraction. Um and she was never forcing us. So that was really healthy but the thing about the full house thing was that like dude i don't know how but literally that is 34 years ago and people still will put it together and they'll see me and spot me and put it and i don't know i mean even when i was wearing a mask during the pandemic i'd be going <laughs> to the grocery store like that and people would be like, oh, duck face. And it's wild. Um, I guess I'm grateful for it. But, you know, like, I, I've i worked so hard. Like, you know, I was 18. And when we first met, I was 18 or 19 or whatever. And there was a moment when I, I, I didn't want to act anymore. And I wanted to just, I thought about, doing music for real and playing the drums. And then I started to get into like the actual technique and skill of filmmaking. And so I started watching, you know, films that were really inspiring taxi driver um, and, and, and blade runner. And, and, you know, I like really weird stuff. Like I think yeah. Pee-wee's Pee big adventure is one of the so funniest, amazing movies of all time, but it's really strange. Um, and I got into that and then what really sealed it, what got me to Salt Lake and, and undergrad was, uh, I sat in the theater having loved raising Arizona and watched Fargo for the first time on screen. And there was something about that film and specifically William H. Macy that I was like, okay, that makes sense. And that feels like something I want to do. I've never felt like, again, I've been, I've been short my whole life. I've been kind of a, an oddball my whole life. So I've never identified with, with the leading man thing. Um, and so when I would see guys like Giamatti or Philson Hoffman or Macy or, you know, whatever, Willem Dafoe, like these, these are the guys that I identify yeah. with. 
Yeah. Steve Buscemi. Um, so that really, that got me there. And, uh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot well, you, you know, I, well, let me, so, but it does seem like you have a, I mean, I'm just guessing, I don't know, but it does seem like you do have a recognition that that is what people remember you not, not to say that's the only thing they remember you as, but they do remember. It and, and for a lot of people, that was a good time in their lives. No, like, so that's totally true. Like, so I they go like, Oh, he's part of that. Yeah. Um, like I, 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 vehemently didn't want to do conventions for for a long time i was going to ask you if you've been doing conventions and then during the pandemic i realized that getting to connect with the fans of whether it's horror films through nightmare or nostalgia stuff with jurassic or animation whatever they're also they're they're really really lovely people and it's a really nice thing and um and so i i love doing that and i do i think i do have more of a respect for it but because I feel like even at 44, I have this new sort of lease on life where, you know, I've written now probably 20 or so plays and I've been able to produce, write and act in 30 short films and features that we did myself. And I feel like I, I always knew, I always knew the grayer I got, the balder I got, the fatter I got the more interesting my art was going to be whether as a creator or as an actor and i think that that's that's coming true to life that you know when i can play a dad for the first time which i did here with oedipus that like it made sense and i'm really you know i'm excited by that well and i was just going to say even the even though you may have done work that you don't care for you were never like typecast i don't think were you like you never had you were never that guy who could only be that guy you know so everything that you did every project you did whether you liked it or not it led you to where you are today so there's no reason to feel anything other than proud for having done it i think thank you no i really tried and i started doing this in undergrad um where i had a teacher who she was from from england and she kept saying you know you don't need to always be like the comic relief. You're interesting enough by yourself. And she would cast me in these like leading man romantic roles. And uh, and that that kind of that gave me the first taste that I could kind of maybe blur blur the expectation. One of the short films that we did first, right? When I um, before I went to London, I was here. I we did a, a short film called Long Story Short with a, a person named Nora Kirkpatrick, who I met at UCB at Upright Citizens Brigade, and she um, she was a musician with Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, and she's now a very um, established commercial director. Um, she's five foot eleven, and so we did this thing where it was like can we, we knew we had chemistry. We knew that we really liked working with each other. Uh-huh. We're like, can we harness that and, and make a narrative that kind of blows to smithereens all of the expectations and stigmas? And we did. And we took that to, you know, 15, 16 best. And routinely the audiences would say, we forgot about the height discrepancy yeah. within five minutes. And I felt like that was a really cool experiment to see if that, 
that could happen. I mean, I, I have a weird face, man, but I always, I think I've been able to, to channel my soul into performance and into how I try to connect with people, not just creatively, but personally too. Did you just say you had a weird face? He's being self-deprecating <laughs> again. It's a person. Yeah, so I, I agree. What you're saying there. I agree. That's right. Say it again, you cut out. You're a very <laughs> handsome man. Cool, thanks, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> let me let uh, we gotta get this this uh, question from Mr. Dibs in. Oh, so, sweet. Okay. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, let's let's take a question from Mr. Dibs. Give it up, Mr. Dibs on the turntable. Listen to more of this. Well, hello, Wit. Hi, Mr. Dibs. Here's the deal: Adrian Ty are managing a new band that they put together kind of an eclectic mix of characters you might be familiar with. Um, Dakota Stanley from Glee is playing the wet wooden triangle. Mr. Belvedere's bottom lip is on tambourine. <laughs> Duckface from Full House is playing the ankle monitor. And Kane from Poltergeist 2 is on vocals. <laughs> Got all that figured out so far. The band is called The Kid from Lay It Down's Lost Wish. So, for press purposes, we need to know what the kid from Lay It Down's lost wish was. And that's where you come in, sir. There's your question. What was the kid from Lay It Down's lost wish? Wow. Go. (laughs) I don't even think it's that lost, man. In the video... Uh, in the video, he wants more than anything to be to be a, a rock star, and specifically, I think he wants to get the girl. Which, you know, um, that makes sense, and that's parallel for me. To you know, I'm a diehard romantic, and so are you a romantic? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> of course, are you big? You're big fascist, fascistas, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm always like, what? You said you brought up before we wrap this up. You had been, you had mentioned a fan, the fan, a fan thing that was happening with the Star Wars thing. You know of this other fan theory, and I and I, I'll bring it up because I don't think Adrian knows it. But there's that fan th- <laughs> okay. theory that. Um, your character in the Jurassic Park had grown up to be Chris Pratt's character in the new Jurassic Park. What do you? What is your uh, your thought on that? No, Colin Trevorrow, who uh, who has the franchise now, um, he rebuffed that. But when that happened, the story with that, like I usually try to keep uh, my nose clean and and stay out of the zeitgeist and and try to uh, preserve a bit of. Um, anonymity because i think that that's one of those things that you know as artists we all and especially actors we're also cravenly starved for attention and so (laughs) we'll then want to like get on a tiktok and 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 share every morsel of ourselves but the people that do that they lose the ability to sort of morph into these characters and and I think you do your audience a, a bit of disservice by being way too in the public eye. Yeah. So I try, I try to rebuff that. Um, but uh, in this one occasion, I woke up 
to uh, my my phone having a bazillion notifications, <laughs> and it never happened to me. This thing went viral. I had ne- I've never been viral. I don't know what that is, and and it was this this tweet that some fan theory. It said, "Yeah, that that exact scenario." And I immediately responded and retweeted and said, no, um, I think I sent two tweets and one of them said something like, hey, um, at Chris Pratt, <laughs> whatever <laughs> Twitter was, was like, um, in no parallel universe does this face morph into a blonde matinee idol. <laughs> and then the other one was like, um, that role is mine. Damn it! I'm not retired. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. And you know, like, I still think that the lost, like the Jurassic World franchise, fucked up by not having me in for like two lines as getting my comeuppance and being killed, or being a bit of a foe for for Chris Pratt. Um, and so I kind of like, I kind of like giving a bit of snark to the situation. <laughs> And when and when fans approach me at conventions and bring up that scenario, they they actually really really love it. I mean, I love playing a bad guy, so I feel like that that's that's a ton of fun for me. May- and also, also look, dude, look, look, man, if you're doing a lot of weird voting, and and we know that, and you're you're on in the public eye voting for guys like Rick Caruso and talking about, you know, abortion on the wrong side, then I do want to fight you, Chris Pratt. <laughs> I do want to fight you. Oh, the gaunt that is throwing down the hammer. <laughs> like, look, man, creating a little bit of beef kind of makes me feel like I'm uh doing exactly what I watched WWF do when it was Ultimate Warrior and they would just like do that interview and do that beef. I want to do that beef. And that doesn't come from a place of anger, as we've heard, that comes from a place of love. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But no, I thought I thought I, I still think I still think somebody's gotta it can't be over. I mean they're they're I saw that last Jurassic World and again, you know I haven't watched it yet. Here's the thing, man. And again, I'm going to be obviously a bit uh, controversial. But if you remove Spielberg from a thing, it's not going to get better. Right. That's just that's just proof in the pudding. So I think that, um, you know, they took a weird turn with that and, and they tried to make it a bit of a Marvel movie. Mm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel badly about that. I'm also like, I really think that it would be cool not to not to try to make myself relevant per se, but when I do the horror film conventions, I'm always like, Robert England is getting up there and there should definitely be Son of Kruger franchise. Would you? Yeah, there, there really should, man. I was huge. That shit I would horror. do. That shit I would do 100%. Oh, good. Cause that I was asked to do the uh, the Fuller House reboot a couple of times, and I I couldn't visualize doing that. Yeah, but the nightmare stuff I would definitely. Do. Well, I did see the pictures out there. You with I forget the actress's name, so I just call her Stephanie. But I did see the picture of you out uh, uh, with her. It was yeah. kind of cool. Like I see the two of them together. That's cool. 
She's cool. She's a really cool person. Um, we were going to write a sketch for Funnier Die when all that stuff was brand new, where where we had kind of a reunion and um, it, it's a it was a dark piece. I wrote it with my friend and I pitched it to her and, and she was down and then it just kind of fizzled. But no, man, she was one of my first crushes for real. When I shot yeah. that at 10 years old, we knew what kind of romantic he was going to grow into because I sobbed on the ride home, man. I cried in my mom's in my mom's minivan because, like, the last day, the stu- the studio teacher I remember vividly. She was like, "Okay, we're not going to study today because we're just we're banking a couple hours of of film school um, or set on school on the set. So we're just going to bake banana bread. We're going to call it home ec." And I remember at ten being like, "This is the most romantic moment of my life." <laughs> <That was> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I, I I heard her on uh, she, I think yeah she was on um Steve yeah on yeah. Steve O's podcast I heard I didn't realize Steve. that she had done all that that's that's or that she'd gone through some of that stuff that she was talking about that's pretty incredible oh no she's good she's I mean she's really 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 cool and and I think you know she found a way to kind of turn lemons into lemonade which I I respect yeah. Okay, final, final, um, uh, Sophie's choice, and then the philosophical, and then I'm going to let you tell, you know, get out of here, but I'm also going to let you tell me, tell a couple of actual for sure promotions that you got to hit. The final one's um, full house or full metal jacket? Full metal jacket. Easy. All right, here's, here's your fill, here's the wrap up of the show, your philosophical question to the wrap up. Because all my, all the shows, all our shows end with a philosophical question, and we're going to keep it in the theater. Okay. Wait, can I ask one oh, real quick? Sure. Sorry. Uh, do you think you would be prepared after your role in Jurassic Park? Are you prepared for what they're doing with DNA? Can you? Do you feel like you can fight the dinosaurs? Are you ready? Yeah, thousand percent. Okay. Because <laughs> we need somebody who knows what they're doing. Well, yeah, if you so. since well, now that she asked that, I want to ask, what weapon do you choose for the the uh, zombie apocalypse? Ooh. You know what I would love to be good at, and I think is like such an underutilized. I'd love to be good at the bow and arrow. Archery. Oh, yeah. I think the I think archery is so interesting, and like you know, it had a little resurgence with Hunger Games. But had you uh, ha- you've never played anything where you had to do some? Maybe you need to write yourself a a character <laughs> that that needs to go into heavy uh, testing or you know training on a bow. I would love it, man. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that I'm the guy that they're going like, who's going to save the day? Oh, the, the dude that looks like the love child of Vincent Gallo and Danny DeVito. But <laughs> Everyone needs know. a Vincent Gallo. And a- <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't not do the self-deprecating. Adrian's so over it. She's over it. Dude, I started doing that like so long ago because I was like, I'm going to get in front of the, of course, I'm going to get in front of the joke. But I've tried to dial it back because I have had a couple people that I've dated where like I think that it's a really hot joke and it, like it's just gonna kill and they'll look at me and they'll be like, "Are you insecure?" <laughs> no, you no, you're good. I think uh, truthfully, I like, watched right. I watched your 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 video when you were out on the out in the streets and you were uh, doing the Jurassic Park signing autographs for people. That yeah. was a self-deprecating piece, but it was funny and it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Dude, we just, we literally, I called up my buddy that morning and I was just like, we got to go. We got to go do this right now. Grab a camera. And we yeah, didn't the, put any thought into it at all. The other one too was, it was cool to see you with uh, Garfunkel and Oates singing uh, 
why isn't there more fucking on this island? <laughs> that one's awesome. They're very, very, very cool. I had a great time at UCB. I was there for seven years and I, I, I you know, I really loved learning about comedy. Um, but there was a certain point where I just felt like I was getting kind of lazy and you have to really sort of, the comedy world is really interesting because there's so many really, really smart, good actors that are part of the comedy world. But if you're not careful and if you don't have your own barometer, you will start to be kind of reductive and you'll start to just look for the laugh. And that becomes like, it, it, it almost becomes a, a thing where you're cheapening yourself. And so yeah. I'm glad that I, I've had this barometer where, you know, after seven years or whatever, I was like, okay, I'm going to go do something really weird. I'm going to uproot my whole life and I'm going to move to London and, and go get another degree in my mid thirties. And I am completely become a student again. Yeah, you have a skill of knowing when to get out of something and then finding something or taking a new journey. I do that with marriages too. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> it works, I guess. <laughs> hey, here's your philosophical. Uh, it's a nerdy one. Okay. But um, to be or not to be, that is the question. But mm. the question to what? You want me to really answer that? How how you answer? Because I don't know a whole lot of of Shakespeare. But what is your what is your? Mm. This is gonna be okay. Um, let me preface that. Is that okay? Yeah, of uh, course. So we all did weird stuff during the pandemic. Some of us were making sourdough. Some of us were you know, watching Tiger King on loop, right? <laughs> Tiger King? Yeah. Yes, Tiger King. And um, and I was making kombucha and going to Joshua Tree. And, and then there was a moment where I was just like, you know what I've never done was because earlier in my in my theater career, in my 20s, again, I was, I was cast as like the sidekick and the quirky character a lot of the time. I was never sort of, the leading man and I was like I love Hamlet so much and I feel like I really sort of identify with that child that misses their parent and sort of that darkness and that existential stuff that he she whatever is going through and so I just cracked open um the play during the pandemic and said I want to memorize these speeches I just want to like figure out these speeches and that became a th thing that now sticks with me and so every three months you know if i'm doing um a workshop or whatever uh or if i'm doing private coaching you know off times where i'm going like you you really have to internalize text in a way that makes sense for you and you need to break the rules you need to always break the rules art is the most wonderfully transgressive space that we can have where rule breaking is encouraged and we need to be able to preserve that transgressive nature to it. So, you know, for me, it's like that question should be a question where it's somebody that's not predicting it to be or not to be. That is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to, suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or 
and you you keep going and you you let it be new ideas and so what hamlet's doing there is he's really i don't think asking do i live or do i die but asking what does it mean to live and i think the parallel for that speech now that i find really interesting is people going like should i zone out should i shut off should i numb out should i become comatose and just sort of like bury my head and be happy to pay my rent and mortgage or should i find some sort of life worth living to put in perspective did you measure you memorize the whole hamlet I'm no, I memorized three of the major speeches, and then I would do this thing where, like, uh, I would I would just recite them in the shower. I would recite them on my runs, and they became a, kind of a a cool source uh, uh, source of comfort when the world was going to shit, and we were all, you know, no matter if you were in the Pacific Palisades or Compton, everybody was really worried where they were going to get toilet paper from right. at the same time. And I thought that that was a really interesting, great equalizer. And so then to have these existential thoughts really made sense. Um, and it's still a role that I think like I'd love to play it in my late 40s, in my 50s. I think for a person that has had opulence and sort of entitlement their entire life as Hamlet does, to then have it all completely destroyed is so devastating and painful and so for him to go through that um and to ask should i live a life worth living should i have a a life that i can be proud of you know um i'll share this <laughs> uh this birthday my 44th which i've now said like 200 times on the podcast, <laughs> um is is big because uh, my idol Anton Chekhov died when he was 44, and I or my my dad passed away when he was 44. Ooh. Yeah. yeah so I <laughs> so I had this this birthday circled on the calendar for a bit, and oh. I I made a a pact with the universe and said, you know, if you keep me doggy paddling, if you keep me um, happy and healthy, and you let me know that um, I'm alive, then I promise I will take the baton and I will not succumb to the Dementors. Yeah. Uh, they're in my wiring. And so I, uh, I do feel like I'm beating the curse this year. And uh, I, have, I have some shit to do. I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome, though. I'm glad that you you... Uh, I mean, that's the way you went with it. That's what you do. You go. You can either say I give up, or or or, or here I go. And I'm glad that you chose the here I go, and I'll do something with this time. If you, so I mean, it's so you. me. It's so me too to like put myself up against Anton Chekhov. <laughs> you go like, oh, it's fateful. It's like it's so no, but this, but but it doesn't matter. Even even if, yeah, well, yes, well, this is what I do. And musician goes like, I need to make it to twenty seven. Yeah, you know, I think that's just kind of the those are, those are the things you think about. Those are the yeah. questions. Those are your totally. And I've I've struggled with with depression and dark stuff my entire life, and you know, <clears throat> I've lived 
I used to say I lived seven of my nine cat lives, but I think I'm closer to eight now. And so like the parallel to kind of bring it full circle, which is that what, what Hamlet is asking is like, should I live a life worth living? Um, I've decided yes. And I've decided that the best way for me to do that is to, um, well, dude, uh, who <clears throat> to lose myself and to um, keep being really curious and to love with no guarantee that it's going to be returned and to be wrong. My favorite sentences to say in the rehearsal room are, I don't know, and I think I'm wrong. Those are my favorite sentences to say. Um, I love being able to create from nothing and I love being able to give it away and not have it be about me, you know, and I struggled my whole life um, trying to, to figure purpose and the definition of who I was. And my mom, bless her heart, she would say, you know, even since I was a kid, we'd watch the Oscars and she'd say, you know what, when you, when you win that, remember to thank me. And uh, I don't necessarily care if that's in my cards. I really don't fucking care about awards, but and adulation but i think you know when i told her what's happening and and how things are kind of turning the corner it's 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 cool i went to usc and i had an interview with with one of their full-time faculty uh professors who's also like a chekhovian um disciple and nerd and he read my adaptations and I didn't go in there with a tweed jacket and a tie. I went in there with a leather jacket and pins and tattoos and earrings. And um, he said, you did it. You did it. You you took this this dead playwright and you gave it new nerve endings. And I passed him my phone and I said, do you want to call my mom and tell her? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Did he call her? <laughs> no, no, he didn't think I was serious. But you know, like I think that that might be that might be good enough. And for yeah, me, for that, sure, I do feel good enough. I feel good enough being in my my studio, and you know, it's not the life that I always plan to have, but I think it's better because sure. um, I I I get to figure out who wit is every day, and a lot of people are scared of doing that. And I'm really, I'm not fucking scared. Anymore. Yeah. I had to get rid of that Mormonism. Though. I had to get rid I of know. that Mormonism. You've come <laughs> overcome the fears. Yeah. Don't, th- yeah. you know, for a lot of, for a lot of people b- growing up in, with religion, that's, or anything, anything that you're, you know, you were taught forever. Those are really hard to um, free yourself from. Um, I, cra- I I mean, I'm glad that we didn't go down this road, but I have a rap sheet on that joint that is like very <laughs> personal. That is like for a while, it was always like, okay, I guess I'm just going to be one of those people that is, um, it's not for them, and and I'll let it be for other people. But um, the insidiousness that happened personally, where there's there's uh, what's the short version of this? The short version of this is like we put it together that my dad was a closeted gay man. And although a very loving and and interesting and and exciting father, it wasn't the life that he really wanted. And he was robbed of it. And yeah. And, and why he took his life was because he had no way to explain who he was, to feel seen and to 
um, live his truth, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And and so I'm pissed that the church felt like it played a little bit of um, uh, was complicit and <laughs> to to that sort of thinking. And so it's okay. Again, I don't fuck with anger, but um, I do think that like the more that we can start to develop our own personal this is a huge soapbox, but um, <laughs> our own personal spirituality rather than relying upon what old white men have told us for centuries from books that may or may not be fairy tales. Like, let's let's get into the soil. Let's get into what actually reverberates because then that's, I think, where, where we're going to find the saving grace, you know? And, uh, and I think the grace comes from legitimately meeting who you are and liking that person. And I was never getting that through organized religion ever. Right. Yeah. They definitely don't want you to, um, it's harder to control those who, um, who have a sense of where their own journey is. Free thinking, free thinking has no place in organized religion. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, but that the show always ends on a philosophical and that got pretty philosophical. Adrian, you were going to say something. I, I was saw just you. thinking you proved that you had said something earlier, like you're going to break the curse. Yeah. Maybe not those words and paraphrasing, but I you did. just That's proved right. that you already have. You've already, you, you already did. You, you did what your dad couldn't do. You've already done that. It's yep. our, like the cycle is broken. Yeah. So, That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, um, cool. And it, it had nothing to do with the number of which age you're turning, you know, or will turn next year. So, no, it, it really didn't. And uh, thank you for saying that. That's that's nice. That's lovely. We can end with a little teary eyed uh, <laughs> wrap up. It, it's Reed Herford, baby. We know there's going to be some Hey, what do you, how do you prefer people to stay on top of what's coming from the world of wit? Where do you like, um, uh, what can we, what shall be promoted? What shall we? Uh, I think, I think Instagram probably is, is the quickest pipeline. My, uh, my riot act theater Instagram is, is public and I put all the stuff there. And what's that at, at, at riot act at riot act theater, T H E A R T R E. I'm pretty, I'm pretty accessible and, you can probably email me through the theater company's website, which is riotacttheater.org. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Well, it was it was a uh, it was such a pleasure spending the spending this afternoon with you, Wit. Uh, thank me you too, for guys. joining us. Um, it was so great to see you. I'm glad that things are are on the up for you, and I look forward to having an opportunity to see you in a show. I guess we'll probably have to come out to see you. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I just, uh, like I said, uh, we're probably going to take this thing to New York and then we'll probably take it to Edinburgh, which is bucket list. For my own selfish reasons, will you please make both those happen because of New York and Edinburgh? Because we we tend to now, all our guests that have been on the show, a lot of them are musicians and artists. Like now that they've been on the show, I go out of my way to support what they're doing. So we'll fly out to wherever to be to like go to one of their shows or will because that just the fact that you're willing to sit and talk with us means a lot to us so yeah if you do those for my own selfish reasons that gives us a reason to go back out there and catch you at a show 
you guys are the best. You've always been purveyors and supportive, and I, I you know, you you guys are very genuine in that way. Well, thank you. I thank Joel for that too. Same, 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 same. Joel Huff forever. Yeah. All right, man. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We, we, yeah. Love you, buddy. Peace. Enters a room just like a hurricane, and everybody knows but can't pronounce her name. Hey, it's me, Ty. Just popping on real quick to let you know that my art is available for purchase at artbyty.com. So if you like what you're seeing or you want to support this podcast, the best way for you to do that is by picking up a print or an original on my website. If you're not quite ready for a purchase but you still want to help out, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you stream from. And be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel so you'll never miss an episode. All right, enough of all that. Now let's get back to the show. Well, there you go. That was wit. It was a nice heartfelt conversation, huh? Yeah. All right. All right. He's okay. always He's always been a good guy. Yeah, he's very thoughtful. He's very smart and um uh yeah, he knows so much about theater. Yeah, I don't I have I admittedly have no idea about He didn't say Hamilton. Hamlet? Hamlet. <laughs> was that the one with the witches? I think I had to read it. In Hamlet's the one where he does hold the skull and says to be or not to be. Yeah, I think I had to <laughs> read it in high versions. school, but I, you know. Well, admittedly, well, I'm not the big, I'm not the biggest theater, but I, but I love going I, to. The I'm theater. thinking that I should um, find it redone in a context that I can um, consume it. Well, didn't we go out. see him or Joel do Hamlet at a? I think that was. Hamlet. Oh no no. You know what? We saw the one where he uh, was like Prometheus per- or or something like that. It was a lot of witches and uh, remember we. Well, uh, the, there is the one with the three witches, and I don't know. I'm not. I didn't. That's okay. Shakespeare just confused me. Me too. It was too much old English. I remember watching Romeo and Juliet with my dad, who's the you know okay. you know my dad, and he's like, well, I could see it in his head he didn't speak much but i could see in his head going like what the fuck is well at least that romeo and juliet made sense no they were still speaking in that in that terminal that you know shakespearean terminology well we ran on for we 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 went on a little long no not a little longer no it was nice to hear from wit yeah uh, yeah. i'm glad that he's doing well i'm glad he's uh dealt with the things that he's um that have been going on in his mind and that um he's overcoming them whether he's or overcame them whether he noticed that or not in life is pushing through pushing on yeah would you attribute that to being an actor or or a performer where you do have to do a lot of introspective work and art do artists have to do more introspective work than than um than the non-artists because i tend to say that you know i've never I always hated to call myself an artist, but I obviously realized that I am. But do artists do more introspective work than people who don't? I don't think so. No? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, yeah, I'm really happy for Wit, and he just sent a text saying thank you. So, I want yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up here, and I'll, I'll reach out to him, tell him thank you. And I wanted to ask him why a, why a bison, but oh, well. He said he really likes uh, gothic Architecture, yeah. and I wish I could have fit it on the screen, but oh well, 
that's the drawing. It's on the screen. I mean, I'm sorry. The 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 rest of the the what do you call it? the the steeples? Are they steeples? Mm, spires, maybe. Spires, yeah, because it went up a little taller. Because composition wise in this drawing, I mm. I want it to be just taller right here. But oh well. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and um, thanks, Adrian, for uh, keeping us on track. <laughs> Anything else? Oh, I was just pushing in. Oh. I thought that was it. Did you push in? No, I'm pushing in. Well, that is it. Good night. D-O-D-45. Thank you for joining in on yet another episode of DOD45. Please hit the subscribe or follow button so that you never miss an episode. You can even go one step further by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other interesting people like yourself find our podcast. You can find me at ArtByTai on all the socials or at ArtByTai.com. If you'd like to follow this podcast on social media, we are at DOD45W on Instagram, or you can go over to our website, DOD45.com, where you can shoot us an email, join our mailing list, and watch all of our past episodes. Thanks for joining us. Peace.